author Paul Leslie Hour, helping people tell their stories. And now, your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. We're joined by a very accomplished and innovative filmmaker. Michael Bonfiglio is an Emmy-nominated director, producer, writer, and camera operator. He has directed or co-directed a number of documentaries and television specials. In the world of music, May at Last, A Portrait of the Avid Brothers, Nine Days and Nights of Ed Sheeran. In the world of sports, there's Doc and Daryl about baseball players Dwight Gooden and Daryl Strawberry. And You Don't Know Bo, The Legend of Bo Jackson. He also directed Jerry Before Seinfeld, Jerry Seinfeld's first comedy special in more than a decade. Most recently, Michael Bonfiglio was director of one iconic late-night television host's Return to the Screen, the streaming Netflix original, My Next Guest Needs No Introduction with David Letterman. It's a great pleasure we welcome this versatile creator in the world of cinema. Michael Bonfiglio, how are you, sir? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having me. All right. Very, very kind intro. <laughs> you have a lot of accolades. Um, I don't know if it's that many accolades. I've got <laughs> gotten a couple of nominations for things, and uh, we won an award for the uh, Avid Brothers film at South by Southwest. But um, yeah, I, I've I've been incredibly fortunate to get to work on a lot of just very interesting projects that uh, that have kept me busy, and um, it, it's just it's been really fun so far. <laughs> Would it be correct to assume that you're a man with a lot of interests? That would be correct. Yeah, yeah. I, I think my interests sort of run the gamut of, of all kinds of different things. And I think when I get involved in a project, a lot of times it's actually fun to not know anything about the topic. That doesn't always happen. But when it does, it, it, I find that that sometimes actually helps the project itself because I need to be learning about it while I'm creating something and 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 so so it can that can actually be beneficial i think in a lot of ways so when you decide to undertake a project you maybe don't research as much well i i do once once we're in it i i mm. do quite a bit of research and so what what i i guess what, what i was gathering what it was getting at is you know for example with the bo jackson film um i didn't know much about bo i'm not really a sports guy I, I remembered him as a kid, as the guy who played two sports and had a TV or a, a Saturday morning cartoon and, you know, and the, the Nike commercials and whatnot. But I, I didn't know much about him or about his career specifically. And so I think as I did research while making the film, I think that that excitement about discovering something new kind of translated to the film. And I think that's that can sometimes be beneficial to a project. But I definitely do it, do a lot of research. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that that one for a second. You don't know Bo, the legend of Bo Jackson, because I just finished watching it. Uh -huh. Did uh, you like it? I liked it a lot. And, you know, oh, you probably had a few people say this. It felt very different from most sports documentaries. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Did oh, sorry, people say that? Um, they do. I don't know if, if different is so much, but I, I think it, it, overall it, it got a really positive response. I think people really enjoyed it. I think people who are my age and older enjoyed the sort of nostalgic factor. And I think the younger generation really got excited about discovering this person that why didn't they know who he was? 
But I, I think what we tried to do with that film was was just to make something that that was less concerned with the factual reality of Bo Jackson and more about how Bo Jackson existed in our collective imaginations. And I, that was a decision that I made early on. And I think it was because that was the thing that people responded to so much about him, the way that he inspired our imaginations, that anything was possible. And um, so I wanted the, the film to re reflect that kind of excitement. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, in, in general, I think people really, really seem to, to enjoy it. You walk away thinking that the word legend is totally a proper. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think I, that, that was part of the, the initial decision was let's make the film about the legend rather than the actuality, even though, you know, everything in it is factually correct. But but there are a number of things in the film where people say, oh, I heard this crazy story about him. And we don't know if it's true or not. But the, the, there's some fun in imagining that it is true. Tell us a little bit about the one with about Daryl Strawberry and Dwight Gooden. Yeah, that was a film that Judd Apatow and I did together. It was a 30 for 30 documentary. Um, I had done the Bo Jackson one, which was also for 30 for 30 for ESPN, and had a really good experience doing that. And Judd and I had already, I think we'd already, yeah, we had already started work on the Ava Brothers film. And he called me one day and said, hey, let's do a 30 for 30 together. And uh, I said, great, let's, let's do one. Do you have any ideas? He was like, what about Daryl Strawberry and Dwight Gooden? I said, that sounds fantastic. You know, I, again, not being a big sports fan, I knew those guys from all of their off the field antics. And uh, it just sounded like a fascinating story. And so we called ESPN and they said, you know, if you can get those guys on board, meaning Doc and Daryl, then we're in. So we were able to do that. So that, yeah, it was, it, it was, uh, I, I like to think of it as sort of the opposite side of the coin of Bo Jackson. You know, the Bo film was, was so positive and almost this idealized version of what a human being is capable of. And Doc and Daryl is a much darker story about so many of the negative things that human beings are capable of. And um, so it was, they're not, I don't think of them as companion pieces, but it was interesting to make a, another sports film for the same outlet, but that was just so completely different in terms of the story and in terms of the, the approach that we took. So yeah, so it was it was a a very interesting project to to be involved in. Might be a hard question, but what would you say has always been the purpose of the art that you are creating? That's a really great and hard question. I think it I think it varies. I think you know, for for in in documentary films, if if you look through the history of it, it has changed quite a bit and there are still people in different camps that adhere to various, various purity levels, should we say, um, about documentary. But I think that starting about maybe 20 years ago, I guess it's a little longer ago than that now, but you know, Errol Morris with uh, The Thin Blue Line really pushed the envelope in terms of what documentary could be. And then that was continued with uh, probably my favorite documentary of all time, Brothers Keeper by Joe Berlinger and Bruce Sanofsky, who were mentors of mine. The idea of, of telling the factual truth, but imbuing it with more of a narrative storytelling quality. You know, I, I think up until that period, a documentary had been kind of, had become kind of dry. Now that there weren't exceptions to the rule. I think you know, Sherman's March is one that comes to mind. Um, it, it, there are a, a, a many, but there was a trend that started, I, I guess, probably in the 
late 80s, early 90s, that documentaries could be more entertaining and could be more, um, could, could break the rules and create their own rules. And, and I think, um, you know, we're seeing a lot of great work now. And for me personally, when I take on a project, I just, I like to kind of find a form that seems to fit the subject matter. You know, there's a certain number of tools that you have and, and frequently, if not always, you know, budget is a concern, you know, documentaries don't tend to have very big budgets. So, you know, you have to kind of work within your means. But I think I'm straying from your initial question, which was a hard one. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I don't know if there if there's any particular through line in, in, in the work that I've I've done. But yeah, again, I, I, just, I like to, to seek out interesting projects, things that interest me, that I'm curious about, that I want to know more about, and um, and try and tell the stories in, in interesting ways that, that hopefully people will respond to. Would you say that you've had a greatest teacher in filmmaking or documentaries? I've been incredibly fortunate, and I've had a few. I previously mentioned uh, Joe Berlinger and Bruce Sanofsky, um, who uh, were my mentors. I, I started working for them. Um, I was their intern when I was in college, and then I dropped out of college to work for them full time. And so, so they taught me a tremendous amount. And then, you know, more recently in the past few years, sort of an unlikely source of, of learning, given that he didn't have documentary experience, but Judd Apatow, um, who I've made a couple of films with, you know, Judd is just an incredible teacher. And uh, even though he, I think he initially viewed our relationship as he was new to documentary and I had done a lot of work. So I think he, he was sort of coming in with the mentality of he's the one who doesn't know how to do this, but he's so brilliant. And I learned so much from him just about storytelling in general. And, um, and uh, so that the technical ideas of documentary are really minor, I think, when it comes to somebody, you know, like Judd, who's so brilliant in so many ways. But uh, yeah, I've been incredibly fortunate and, and been able to have a whole lot of teachers. And you you know, you also learn things from your subjects, too, like when you're when you're working with somebody and, you know, learning to always to always be open to what is actually in front of you as opposed to what maybe your preconceived notions might have been going in um, and allowing the final piece to, to reflect that and not, not get your own prejudices and, and, you know, ideas too far ahead of what's, what's actually happening. Hmm. This might also be considered, I guess, a difficult question, but of the films that you've directed or co-directed, if you had to pick one, to represent what you do you had you know you had some way to present it to earth <laughs> which one would you do um the the avid brothers film may it last is my favorite thing that i've done it's the thing i think i'm most proud of i think it's the thing that reflects who i would like to be <laughs> um and it and reflects my values i think the most um i'm incredibly proud of that of that film you know it, it took us a long time to, to do it. And, um, every moment of it was just pure joy. And, uh, I, I it's certainly the thing that I'm, I'm most proud of. And I, I think is most reflective of, of the things that I want to say. And, um, the, again, the, I'm repeating myself, but the, you know, the values that, that I, that I, I think are important. So yeah, I would, I would definitely say, uh, may it last. Yeah. It sounds like that was a kind of life changing movie for you, for you to make. It, it was, it was, you know, Judd and I started it 
back in and then for people who haven't seen it which is probably a lot of people because it's not like some huge movie but uh it's it's on hbo now um but it's a it's a film about the band the avid brothers who are uh a, a a band from North Carolina that started with two brothers and they brought in uh, their bass player, Bob Crawford and the, the band kind of grew and the film tells their sort of the band history, but, but it's primarily um, a present day narrative of them working on their new album and sort of the life that is happening, you know, around them. And uh, it, so it's currently streaming on HBO. So you can see it there, but it, it, it was, just again, it was such a positive experience all around. You, Judd and I started making the film in, uh, well, he called me in November of 2013, and he and I had been talking about doing something together. And uh, he said, Oh, you know, I, I got a call from Rick Rubin, and the Avid brothers are going to the studio, and we could film probably if we wanted to. And we, do you, you want to go check it out? I said, Yeah, of course, let, let's do it. So we started off, we didn't know what we were making. We had talked about maybe doing some type of a series, profiling different artists, and maybe this could be a pilot, but but we didn't really know what we were doing. We didn't know if we were just going to do one shoot to explore and see if there was something there. Judd just paid for it himself. I worked for free, and you know we just did it as small and you know budget conscious as possible, and it was just very low key, and it kind of continued like that the entire time. You know, we did a, a first shoot and said, you know, they, there's something about these guys and the music is amazing and there's just something about them that's that's very special. And we don't know what it is. We don't know what this thing is that we're making, if we're actually even making something. We, we really had no idea. And it just kind of grew very naturally that, you know, every couple of months or so we'd go back and film more. And it was sort of like, well, what is this thing? I, I, we don't know what it is, but there's something here. We need to just keep keep doing it. And eventually we decided this is a feature documentary. And just, again, every moment of it was just so pleasurable in every way, from the very first shoot through the editing and the way it was received by the public. And I I feel like, you know, it's one of those rare instances where filmmakers and subjects just completely click well. And we all kind of just had a very similar sensibility or, or there was just a kinship there. I think artistically and in every other way. And I think the film kind of reflects that. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm incredibly proud of it. It's uh, I, I would urge everybody to, to see it. If you're, if you're interested. <laughs> We're talking with director, Michael Bonfiglio, and you're going to have to excuse me because when I was watching this series, my next guest with David Letterman, I super analyzed it. Like, I mean, I'm talking like, there we go. Like taking oh, notes. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Paul is holding up a notebook that is covered in notes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, how did you come to direct this television series for David Letterman? Um, well, I got very lucky. Um, I, uh, I, I worked with a company called Radical Media who had been developing the series with Dave. And... I was aware that, that they were developing it, and I just made it known to everyone there who had any power in anything. I just begged to please let me be involved somehow because I, you know, I, I think Dave is just one of the, the greatest ever. And uh, I had done Jerry Seinfeld's stand-up special, and so I think I had. It was actually it was, there were two things that I think gave Dave the confidence in me to do it. 
he saw a documentary that I did called From the Ashes about the coal industry. And Dave is a very uh, passionate environmentalist, and he saw that film and, and really liked it. And then um, I did Jerry's special, Jerry Before Seinfeld. And so, you know, again, the guy who did an environmental documentary seems like a weird choice to work with Dave on his new talk show. But, you know, I didn't get to make the decision. <laughs> so, um, then, uh, and I also, I did Jerry's special. So it was clear that I, I could work with comedy as well as serious issues, I guess. And so, you know, Radical Media, uh, Justin Wilkes over there um, recommended me for the job. And I met with Dave and he said, okay, cool. And so I, I had the gig. It was kind of surreal, <laughs> uh, you know, to think about, first of all, Dave coming back to television at all. I mean, as we all, when we watched, you know, the last episode, it was like, I, are we ever going to see him again? Is he going to pull a Johnny Carson? Will we ever get more Dave? And then to know that, oh, he's doing a show and, oh my God, I get to work on it was surreal is, is probably the right word. Yeah. I got to interview the comedian Tom Dreesen, and he mm -hmm. said, if you like David Letterman, get a good look now, because you're never going to see him again. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's what we all thought. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, he, he's still extremely energetic and extremely curious and, um, you know, decided to, to do another show. And so I think I, I'm very proud of the show. I'm very curious to, to hear what, what you had, what your thoughts are. And, but uh, yeah, I mean, j just just having Dave back is, is I think, a, a good thing for the world. <laughs> yeah, I have to agree. Well, I liked it again, um, going back to that word, different, being different. Yeah. Um, you know, this was a, a series where you had the star, but then you got to meet someone either in some way having to do with or related to that person or like a behind the scenes guy, which in many cases can be just as interesting. Mm -hmm. You don't get that on most talk shows. Yeah. Yeah. I think, well, I think the, the goal of the show, you know, Dave did his shows for 35 years and he did late night talk better than anyone in the history of the medium before or since. And he wasn't interested in doing that again. He wanted to do something different. And he wanted to, you know, the, the things that he said he wanted to do were, you know, talk to a guest in a long format in front of an audience because he enjoys doing that. And he wanted to also go out on these adventures and have other experiences, bring the audience to other experiences. And, and we, you know, it, it was, that was kind of the mandate. And so, you know, we all collectively came up with, with this show and this approach you know, it's not perfect, but, you know, we did six episodes and we like to think of it, you know, often one of the producers and I, Aaron Bergeron would, would say to each other, we, you know, when the third one, after finishing the third episode, we'd say, well, it's only Wednesday. You know, if you think about a talk show schedule, you know, this thing is just starting. So, you know, we did treat each of them sort of as specials, but then it was, you know, it's, it's a sort of an odd setup because we, you know, we were shooting them as we were editing them and we didn't have that turnaround of, oh, it's going to be on tonight. It was a much longer gestation period for each episode. But the, you know, the release schedule once a month was a little unusual. I don't think that had been done before. Um, so, you know, it's kind of a, a show that I think some people were expecting more of 
late night or the late show or something like that. And we gave people this and, um, you know, I, I'm proud of it. I, th- I think we, we tried some things that, that w- we didn't know if they were going to work. And I, you know, I, I hope they did. Uh, but yeah, I, I think I, I, I'm actually, I'm, I'm super curious to think what, to hear what, what, what you think of it, because you're, I, I know that you're a, a big Letterman fan and clearly you watched the new series very intently. What, what did you think? I liked it very, very much, first of all. Let's get that oh. out of the way. Yeah, I okay, thought cool. it was great. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, there have been a lot of people who've said that they thought that the camera angles were, like, either people said they didn't like it or they said it was distracting. Yeah. I did not notice that at all. Uh-huh. I, you know, I didn't notice that at all. You know, I thought what I liked so much about it was, one, each episode, it was okay, you're learning about this person. But we also always learned a little something about Dave as well. And then at the end, which was never really a part of David Letterman, there was like, wow, here's a universal question. Like, what does this have to do with our place in the world? Wow. Who would have ever thought David Letterman, you know, would be posing questions like these or, you know, there's, really big issues in these. Yeah, yeah. And I, th- I think that was one of the things that, that we were all excited about was having this this new format that 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 is, it's not much of a format. They're, you know, it's a very minimalist kind of a show and that, that it could really be about whatever Dave wanted to talk about. And Dave is an incredibly intelligent person who is very engaged in, in the issues of the world and is a very, you know, interested and passionate guy uh, about a, a lot of different issues. And, you know, I, I think, you know, to me as a, as a fan of Dave, I liked getting to know more about him. I liked getting to know more about what he's interested in and things that he thought were important. You know, we only did six shows, so there's a million topics that, that we didn't address. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very appreciative. I'm, I'm glad to hear you say that because, you know, I, I feel like the, the show got some mixed reactions. Some people loved it. Some people hated it. I saw a lot of things on social media about the camera angles that, you know, and, and if I can just sort of defend or explain that decision, you know, it was all part of not wanting this to look like the old show, not wanting it to look like other talk shows. And I, I like the way the show looks personally. I mean, that's just sort of an aesthetic, uh, you know, taste question. But, you know, if, if you have, you know, the show is largely two people sitting in chairs on a stage for a long time, which is, you know, there's not a whole lot to work with visually. So we tried to, to shoot it in a way that would hopefully be compelling and engage viewers and, and not be a, uh, you know, a, a traditional talk show you know, shooting method. So I personally like it. <laughs> I know that some people don't, but you know, what, what can I say? But uh, yeah, I, I think I, I think that one of the things that I that I do like about it about the show is that it, it is very much of Dave. You know, I, I think that to look at it as oh, this is a show about the guest is maybe the wrong way to look at it. This is Dave's show, and he's talking about the things that he wants to talk about. And that, to me, is interesting, because I like Dave, you know? So, um, 
you know, I always assumed that the the main audience for for the show was people who are interested in Dave and and, and what he has to say, what he wants to talk about. So that was kind of the approach. Were there any ideas that Dave had, or anybody for that matter, that had to be adjusted, that had to be tweaked a bit? That's a good question. Um, gosh, uh, well, probably nothing is immediately coming to mind. Again, you know, having only done six of them, I mean, there are certainly ideas that that came up that we didn't end up doing. You know, it was it was very limited. You know, it was it was it was six shows, six guests. And within each one, we would go out into the field and, and the decision making on that varied. You know, if you look across the, the series, the field pieces function in very different ways within the show. For example, with the Malala episode, we went in the field with Malala. That was the only one really where we did that, where we went out with the guest. You know, one of the things that Dave had said early on was that he that. He, he, you know, he, he missed having music and being around live music every night like he, he had with Paul Schaefer. And, you know, music is a, a traditional component of, of talk shows. And so we tried to present music. Uh, we had two episodes where we had, had live music and um, each presented in very different ways, I think, than we've seen in talk shows in the past. And I thought that was pretty cool. I, I thought it was kind of neat to have musical guests but not, ladies and gentlemen, here's so-and-so, but to go out into the world and find the music where, where it is. I, th- I, I really enjoyed that, that part of the show. And, you know, and then, the, in, for example, the episode with uh, President Obama and John Lewis, those were two stories that were somewhat, that were linked thematically. So we approached the field pieces in different ways, and um, hopefully people went with what we were trying to do. You know, I, I, I think, you know, there was certainly some experimentation and, you know, not everything can work every time, but I, I'm actually really pleased with how all of it came out. And, um, so yeah, I, I, I think it's a, it's a, it's a, a sort of a weird show, but Dave's kind of weird. And so I, I don't know. I, I'm, I, I'm proud of the show. Well, just to list the different guests for the listeners out there, you will head on. Barack Obama, George Clooney, here comes the tough one, Malala Yousafzai. Yousafzai. Yousafzai, thank you. Jay-Z, Tina Fey, and Howard Stern. Did you have a favorite episode? Oh, that's a good question. You know, um, favorite episode to work on would probably have been the one with President Obama and Congressman Lewis, because that was just... Who gets to meet those people and who gets to to do that? It was such an honor and a thrill. Um, I had actually had the great privilege of interviewing Representative Lewis about nine months before for a series called uh, Oprah's Masterclass that I've directed for many years um, and got to sit down and interview him for about two hours. And it was an incredible experience. So then to get to work with him not only once but twice and, and to walk across the Edmund, Edmund Pettus Bridge with him uh, and with Dave was just a, an extraordinary life experience. And getting to meet the president was just, it was amazing. It was just a really, really cool experience. So so my favorite one to work on was was that one. The episode that I, I, I probably like the best would either be that or I, I think maybe the Jay-Z episode. 
I, I was, I really liked, uh, the conversation that they had. I thought it was fascinating. I, I thought that they had a really, the Dave and, and Jay had a very interesting uh, dynamic between them and an interesting rapport and kind of went on a journey together throughout the com- their conversation that I, I think the show reflects. Um, and I, I was really proud of how we integrated music into, into that one. I, I thought it was very cool. It was a little, some people didn't like it. I, I, some people loved it. I, I'm in the camp of, I, I really liked it. So, so yeah, probably those two, but, but I, I really, there were things about each one that I, that I really enjoyed. So yeah. Hard to pick favorites, but but yeah, that would be my answer. <laughs> was there any thought that went into the sequencing of the episodes, or was that just done, you know, in order? Yeah, uh, there was. There was, some of it was was just based on scheduling and availability of people. But we actually shot the George Clooney episode before we shot the Obama episode, but the Obama episode aired first. So we, um, you know, having never made one of these before, you know, I think I think. You know, you know, Dave and George know each other fairly well, and I think that was sort of a an easier conversation for Dave to be prepared for. So I, I think there was a desire to get one fully shot before Dave sits down with the president for you know an hour and a half, and and you know that, that's a pretty high pressure seat to be in, although you, you can't tell from watching Dave, but what he does on that stage is pretty extraordinary. I, I've never seen anyone else do anything like it. So we, we shot the Clooney episode first and actually had edited that one almost completely before we shot the Obama episode. And we sort of treated the Clooney episode as, as the pilot to try and figure out, okay, how does this all work? And so we, we had a, a clear sense of what we were doing by the time we shot the Obama episode, but the Obama episode actually aired first. And then um, after that, the, the, the sequence of shows was really just sort of based on the booking of the guests and the order that we shot them in. So the, the first two were flip-flopped. And then after that, I'm, I'm pretty sure the order was the order that we, that we shot them in. On the episode with Howard Stern, he brought up, he, he raised the question of, well, Dave, what if there had been no audience here? What if you'd done something, you know, more intimate? Yeah. What did you think about that? Would you have preferred to do something more, you know, like in a studio with just the two guests? Or did you like the audience? I liked the audience. The audience, was, that was definitely came directly from Dave. He, I think, you know, the the energy of the audience um, is something that he, he likes. And, uh, you know, I kind of looked at it as... We sort of we did get to do those those more intimate interviews when out in the field, you know, when when Dave is is walking the bridge with uh, Congressman Lewis or, you know, spending time with George Clooney's family, you know, that was much more intimate without an audience. So I kind of feel like we were able to get both versions of it, but you know, ha- having the audience there, I think, you know, it, it certainly changes. It, it helps define what the show is in many ways. So. I think, and and I think, I, I think you know the energy of of laughter from the audience, applause from the audience, that reaction, I think, can help fuel the conversation. And so it would have been a very, very different show without without an audience. I think you know Howard does his show without without an audience, and that's what where he's comfortable and he likes doing it that way. So that's where I think that comment to me was coming from. Is like, oh, he likes it that way. Well, Dave likes 
an audience. You know, I thought that was like kind of an interesting moment. These two, you know, uh, legendary broadcasters with such different takes on their uh, on, on how they do their job. You know, I mean, Howard's a, a brilliant interviewer, but I don't know. Like, it's a question: Would he be able to do the interviews that he does on his show? in front of a live audience. Maybe not. I don't know. And and maybe Dave wouldn't be as good doing what he does without the audience. Um, but that was that was having the audience there was something that that, that Dave wanted. That was that was part of, of of his vision for the show. That's really interesting what you brought up there. That it kind of shows the two tastes and they both yeah. were able to get different things out of people but by different techniques. Completely, completely, yeah, yeah, which, which was a cool thing to see, you know, because there arguably are not better interviewers out there than those two people, you know, uh, yeah, and, and yet they get they get what they get in, in very different ways. Yeah. yeah, that's what occurred to me, too, when I was watching that one, I thought, you know, you said the word legends, but, and I would say that, too, but I, I thought, wow, these are the two giants of broadcasting, yeah, you know, Dave of television, Howard of radio, yeah. on one stage. It yeah. felt like a different episode to me from the others. Yeah, well, I you know I think that they're um, you know, and it's funny like, the thing I, I haven't seen anybody mention, but you know, I don't know if you remember at the very beginning of the episode, we show a clip from I think 1983 of Howard on Late Night, and at the end of the clip, he says, you know, I, I'd like to come back. I want to, you know, I want to be a regular on your show. You know, these guys have this relationship, this this on air relationship that spans decades. And so they've, you know, I, I don't know how many times Howard was on Dave's old shows, but they they have a, a unique rapport. They're, I think they have a lot of sim. They share a lot of qualities. They're very different in some ways, and I think very similar in other ways. Again, this is you know, my outside observation. I met Howard once, and I, you know, I've worked with Dave, but you know, I can't say that I know him intimately. You know, um, but I, you know, I think they're they're they the two they're two people who have a lot of similarities that are huge, and a lot of differences that are huge. Um, and to see them together, it's just a, a, a very cool thing. And I think, you know, even when Dave has been on Howard's show, which is great, and, you know, they have the, the camera in there, I think there's a different energy to it when they're on a stage in front of people and being able to have the freedom to talk for a really long time. I, it, was, it was a very cool thing to be able to witness and then to, you know, help put together and, uh, and bring to an audience. Something that I also noticed a few times in this series was that Dave, David Letterman, he really resisted when the guest in any way tried to turn the tables. Like you kind of saw him putting on the brakes when Obama and George Clooney, when they started to ask him questions, he kind of stiffened up. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, I think that that's his, um, his natural inclination. I, I think that you know, Dave is a very complex person, and I think he he tends to bristle when anyone would suggest that he's interesting. I, I don't know how much of his sort of reluctance to be asked questions was genuine, and how much of it was you know joking. But you know, I, I know he had a, he's a very curious guy, and he likes having these conversations. And he had a you know certainly with uh, with the president, he had a, a lot to. To ask him, and so you know, I think I think he he, he wanted to um, spend time not talking about himself, but about uh, but asking questions of, of Obama, 
at the same time, though, you know, on, on the rare occasions when he does talk about himself and his life on the show, like it's, it's incredibly interesting. Um, and we tried to leave, you know, as many of those in as possible, because I think it, it he's just a fascinating person with, with a, a lot to say and a lot on his mind. So I, I felt like despite his apparent reluctance to uh, sort of answer questions from guests, although I think as it went on, he, he, he loosened up about that a little bit. I, I think, you know, you see it in the show that, that he's a little more willing to do that. But I feel like on this show, you, you, you get a, a, a stronger sense of Dave than maybe we had in the past on his old shows. It's because it's just sort of a very concentrated version of Dave. And so, so there were, you know, just a lot of moments across the series that, that I really like because they're revealing of Dave. Uh, so, yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't know how, you know, I, he always wanted the show to be a conversation. Um, and I think he, he genuinely did that, you know. But I, I also think that, you know, part of it is, is just him being self-deprecating. I think that that may be where some of that reluctance to sort of answer a question or, you know, turn the tables on him a little bit may have come from. But I, I, I can only speculate. What would you say surprised you the most that you learned as a result of doing this? My next guest with David Letterman. Um, you know, I'd never done a, a talk show before. And this is kind of a weird talk show. Again, you know, the, we, our setup was very different from a traditional talk show. You know, there, there's, it's a, usually a much larger staff. Usually they have their own studio. Um, you know, we were kind of, we, we didn't have a home base. We were shooting them, you know, many weeks apart. So each time we shot one, it was, you know, creating a whole event and then documenting that event. But, you know, just the, um, uh, it, it gave me a whole new admiration for the people who work on, late night talk shows that are on four or five nights a week. It's just an incredible amount of work that must go into those shows that we kind of take for granted. You know, they're just on, but you know, I think with our show, we were able to, um, we, we didn't have that pressure of being on that night. So it was, it was just a very different, uh, it couldn't have been more different from, from a, a normal talk show experience, but I think having now worked on a talk show, you know, a, a version of a talk show, it brought uh, for me uh, an even deeper respect for the people who are, you know, churning out work every single night, you know, that again, I think we all kind of take for granted how much work goes into those shows. Now here's the question that a lot of people are wondering. Mm -hmm. Will there be a second season of my next guest with David Letterman? I don't know. <laughs> that, that, that's as much as I can say. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I hope there is. Uh, I hope there is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, but I don't know. Now, being that you've said you don't know, mm -hmm. just you personally, mm -hmm. if they could have, if you did a second season, who would you most like to see sitting in the other seat? That's a good question um, and a fun parlor game um i actually could i turn around on you who who would you like to see um, and then and i'll answer but but i ooh, <laughs> i'm very curious okay well i watched uh your documentary jerry before seinfeld uh -huh. and i also saw the bonus thing where jerry and them just kind of jerry and dave kind of just chat yeah you know. yeah 
I think Jerry Seinfeld would be a very interesting guest for for David Letterman. I do too. Yeah. yeah. You know, by the way, I got to compliment you on that documentary as well. I've never oh, seen thanks. anybody who was able so seamlessly to put documentary in a stand-up comedy show. Thank you. That Thank was you very, very much. Cool. I liked that one a lot. Thanks a lot. We that was a lot of fun to do. Jerry's just fantastic to work with, and um, it was just a, a, an incredible privilege to get to work with him. And uh, yeah, we wanted to do something different. When when we started that, you know, Jerry had he, he wanted to, to revisit this old material, but he said, you know, I don't want to just do the material. I, w- I want to do something more. And so we came up with this with what we ended up making. Um, and it was really just a lot of fun to do. And and I learned tons from Jerry. What, what, what an incredibly not only smart, but just I mean, he's just a master craftsman. And uh, I, I just I learned so much from him and, and had a, a great time working on that. Um, I don't want to dodge your other question. I'm happy to talk about Jerry before Seinfeld. <laughs> there a lot of people I'd love to see. I, I would love to see Dave sit down with the Pope. I'd love to see him sit down with Trump. I'd love to see him sit down with uh, Angela Merkel. I'd like to see him with Bill Murray. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, a huge list of people that I, I'd like to, I'd like to see him talk to LeBron James, Colin Kaepernick, Steve Martin, uh, you know, there's a, a ton of people, you know, and so I, you know, if, if there were to be more of, you know, obviously there's, there's no end to the number of, or to the, you know, the list of interesting guests that he could have. I mean, I, I, I like one thing that, that I think is kind of cool about the show is being able to alternate between a guest like Malala Yousafzai and Howard Stern, you know, um, and Dave's ability to talk about serious things and have fun and be funny with serious guests and guests that are also funny. So I, I, I think it's a, you know, it, the, the possibilities for, for, for guests are certainly endless. Yeah. I'm just pulling up a, a message. I was talking to Elizabeth Cook, who is one of the musicians that Dave is friends with and, and a, a big fan of. Uh-huh. And I was asking her, just because she always keeps up with Letterman, I said, what do you think of it? And mm-hmm. she knew what I meant, the, the Netflix show. Uh-huh. And she said, love, intelligent, classy, restrained, and thoughtful. And so <laughs> I got to say, I, if I just wanted to slip that in there. but um, <laughs> Thank you, Elizabeth. That's right. Yeah, nice. yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, Dave is such a music fan and one of the yeah. cool things about the last episodes was he was really showing us his musical tastes, which were really yeah. top notch. Yeah. Another thing I would add to what I would like to see, even if it was just one of the musical interludes, and mm-hmm. even if they just did like a fist bump, it would mm-hmm. be cool if he went backstage at a Bob Dylan concert. That would be very cool. Yeah. Even <laughs> if it was just cool. like, oh, yeah. hey, man, you know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to see that. I would too. That would be amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What did you think of the music on the show? And we had Buddy Guy, and we had uh, Madison Ward, and Lucas Nelson. And what did you think of how how the music was handled on the show? Well, I'm kind of a sentimental kind of guy, and the mm-hmm. the selections of songs they mm-hmm. kind of left you a little misty eyed. Yeah, uh, the duet of Lucas Nelson and uh-huh. uh, Madison Ward. 
I mean, yeah. it was just one of those things that filled your heart up. The Buddy Guy song, I mean, it's really tough to say which one I liked more of those two. <laughs> They're both meaningful songs. Yeah. I, I loved the little musical, you know, asides. Cool, me too. I, yeah. I really like them too. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I don't know if they work for everyone, but, you know, nothing's ever going to work for everyone. But but I, I really, I really like them. I, and I, it was one of the things that I was really kind of proud of with the show that we were able to do is like, oh, we can, let's get music on a talk show which is not an unusual thing to do. That's a very normal thing for talk shows to have, but let's try and do it in a different way. And I, I feel like we kind of succeeded. I, you know, um, I didn't hear a lot of feedback from people about it. So I was just curious, you know, what, what your thought was. Cause I, I, I was sort of like, Oh, this is really neat, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah. And it was also kind of a behind the scenes in these cases in that it wasn't like, like you said, they're booking a musical guest. It was like the right. the thing in the studio. It was just like, wow, we're getting a window into this thing. Yeah, that was all completely real. Yeah. So um, that was that was pretty neat. I mean, the, yeah, the, the end to that was Rick Rubin. You know, Dave was interested in in Rick, and um, so you know that's how how that happened. But it was it, it was it was like, oh, here's a window, a way to 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 bring music onto the show that that's that's different that you know, that, that's sort of unexpected and, and, um, and to present it in a, in a, in a, in a, in a different way, you know, less as a performance and more of just kind of being there with it. Not just with the, my next guest needs no introduction with David Letterman, but just mm-hmm. all of the things you've done, you've gotten mm-hmm. the chance to meet people that most people would never get a chance to meet. You've gotten the chance to go to places, see things, you know, just, a lot of very interesting experiences. What would you say meeting these different people, going to these places, has done for the way that you see the world? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I mean, I, yeah, it's something, it, it kind of boggles my mind when I think about all of the people I've gotten to, to meet and uh, places I've gotten to go. I, I, it's, 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 I'm, I'm so unbelievably lucky, and there's no explanation for it, so I just try and be grateful for it. But I, I, I've taken things away from so many experiences with so many people. Um, you know, you always, when you find yourself with someone you admire and even sometimes with people you don't admire, you, 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 I think you try to, to take in as much as you can and to, to learn as, as much as you can from that experience. And, um, most of the time, uh, you, you know, it's it's all good things. Sometimes it's how not to behave, but usually it's 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 all positive things. And it, it can, you know, someone like you know John Lewis, for example. I mean, you you can't spend five seconds in that guy's presence without being inspired and feeling like, my God, what have I done with my life? You know, and uh, so so I yeah, I've I've just been incredibly incredibly fortunate. Um, it's hard to to say specific concrete things that I've learned in general from all these experiences. But I, I think probably the biggest one is just to be um, grateful for the, the opportunity to have had those experiences to, to learn from people who I admire and uh, uh, who, who I think, you know, are tremendously talented and doing interesting things with their lives. What would you say is the best thing about being Michael Bonfiglio? <laughs> Um, probably my wonderful wife. That's, that's a pretty, pretty great thing about being me. Yeah. (laughs) Well, you have a unique 
opportunity here in that you get to say whatever you want to the audience. I always like to end my interviews. I just give the guests the stage. I let them take the microphone. You can go anywhere you want. Anywhere I want. Oh, man, that's so much pressure, Paul. Um, oh, boy. I, I, I'm i going to disappoint you and your listeners now um, because I didn't prepare anything. And uh, I, I, I just, I, you know, I guess... Vote in the fall, please vote. And if you have a if you have a special election in your state, vote because the way that things are going in the world right now, I think we really need to uh, take some serious action to change the course of of events. I, I think we're living in a time that is, uh, you know, I think every 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 generation thinks that their particular time is unique. And that's true to some extent, but I, you know, I really think that we're we're living in a a time that's uh, incredibly scary and dangerous for in ways that are probably unprecedented. Certainly, if you if you think about climate change, that is historically unprecedented, at least in terms of human human existence. And you know, just every day reading the paper and seeing all of these things that are being done in our names as Americans separating children from their parents at the border and this this just it's it's overwhelming the amount of negative things and scary things that are happening but we can change it we live in a democracy and if we vote we can change it so i hope that everyone gets out and votes uh in november so i guess that would be my my main message well my last question on this episode of the Paul Leslie Hour. At the beginning of the show, I listed all of these titles that have been applied to you. Mm -hmm. Director, writer, producer. How would you define who you are? Who is Michael Bonfiglio? Um, Man, you have the hardest questions, Paul. (laughs) Uh, I I like to think that I'm somebody who has some small amount of talent at shining a light on other people and their stories and and helping tell those stories in ways that are entertaining and engaging for for people and that offer some type of usually positivity into the world and um, hopefully encourage everyone to be nicer to each other. That sounds so, so corny. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I'm you, a terrible guess, man. No, so you're no, absolutely <laughs> not. I talk to a lot of people, and you're not in the bad or terrible category. <laughs> okay. Well, you said, you know, be nice to people, and those are the kinds of messages that don't go away, and they shouldn't. Yeah. Thank you very much for letting us in. Thank you, Paul. This was so such a, an honor and a pleasure to, to talk to you. Really, really enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. Pleasure was mine. Take care. All right. Till next time. All right, man. So long. The Paul Leslie Hour is hosted, produced, and written by Paul Leslie for Lifestyles Entertainment and Media. The Paul Leslie theme song composed, recorded, and produced by Jeff Pike. Outro music composed, recorded, and produced by John Goodwin, originally appearing in the short film Malukas and Vulnerable Jelly Things. Please consider subscribing to the Paul Leslie Hour 
And if you like us, give us a review. It'll help other people to find this content. All past interviews are also available on YouTube. For more information, you can visit thepaulleslie.com and be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at ThePaulLeslie. Thanks for listening. Be good.